Um, The main scripture tonight, as I'm sharing highlights from camp, will be Exodus 20. So if you want to find your way there, it'll take a few minutes to get there, but we'll end up in Exodus 20. Is that your question, Michelle? Yes, good. So as Pastor Scott mentioned, he's with the youth doing Q&A session that um, we're not able, they were not, we were not able to do at camp. And he asked if I would share highlights uh, from camp and, and particularly his teaching at camp for two purposes. One is just to express thanks. Uh, the, the youth camp is very much a church-wide event. Both, it's, there's some budget in there for it. Then, as Pastor Scott mentioned, so many donations to help and, and the students pay as well, but the budget helps keep the cost down. And then those that can't afford the cost, your donations enable them to go as well. But beyond the financial investment, there's all the prayer, the supportiveness. Many adults went. So we had 90-plus students and about 50 adults. And so there are small, some of us were doing small group leading. Of course, Pastor Scott uh, Hayward and Andrew from our praise team and Colton, who did mainly rec, but he also did some percussion and our youth team led worship time. And then a whole kitchen crew, a whole rec crew, uh, just a lot of people were involved to make, make this camp happen. And so just thank you for, for that. And then for you to have an opportunity to, to share a little bit in those highlights of what happened and what the Lord's doing. And know this as well. On June 30th, it's graduate recognition night. They're going to also do some some of the youth reporting about camp. So there'll be a little more detail from the youth coming at the end of the month as well. When we were talking about this yesterday, Pastor Bobby, who was also one of the leaders at camp, said that this may have been the best, I may not be exactly quoting you, Pastor Bobby, but this may have been the best church event he's ever been a part of. That's a bold statement, isn't it? And And he went on to say why because he saw so much work of the Spirit in conviction and in motivation to follow Christ, to see Christ as worthy to be followed, to be loved, to be worshipped. Pastor Scott, in that conversation, followed up with 40 years of doing camps. He said, yes, this was incredible. And I could not agree more with those sentiments uh, being there as well. The Lord blessed. The Lord blessed richly. Uh, this, this past week. The setting is amazing. The location's in Bryson City, North Carolina, in a beautiful valley, mountain view. One side of the property is Deep Creek, just, you know, gurgling along side the campus there. One building housed our worship and teaching sessions and our meals same, in the same space. Another large building was, is the cabin. has a, a wing for guys and a wing for girls, it's camp style, so like bunk beds, some different sized rooms, so five to 12 per room. Um, another building had a game room, a gym, a snack stand, uh, down by the creek, a pavilion, and kind of in the middle of all this, this huge field for recreation and games and different things that were organized through the week. There's also a disc golf course as part of it and a zip line on the property. A lot of outings. There's several outings to do some rock hopping and hiking, see a waterfall. High schoolers spent a couple hours in Gatlinburg, just over the mountain. And daily tubing. 
Deep Creek has some great tubing, and so we could be dropped off in the state park and then get out right there at camp. Kind of a neat little scenario, and uh, the children enjoyed it. But the heart, the, the heartbeat of the camp all revolved around six preaching, teaching, worship sessions and seven small group sessions, an introductory one the night we got there, just get to know each other, and then one per teaching session to follow up from it, discuss it further, um, and seek to arrive at application uh, of what Pastor Scott had taught from God's word. And then flowing from all of that, there were all kinds of one-on-one conversations. And what's so exciting is it wasn't just leader to student, There was also student-to-student, Christ-centered gospel conversations flowing out of all of these sessions and all of these um, small group times and meetings. And through through all of that, I've heard already of several who've professed to have come to faith in Christ during the camp last week. Um, Others, specific areas of sanctification and the Lord growing them uh, through their time and through that teaching and the application of it. Others, not yet in the faith, but engaged in the teaching, engaged in the conversation, having a very open, honest, heartfelt conversation about the gospel, questions they have, struggles they have. So pray, you know, pray that God will continue to work. Um, Assuring and affirming and leading forward those who've come to faith, continuing the sanctification process and the believers and bringing those who haven't come yet to saving faith in, in Christ. Now, as we, as we come to, to walk through the highlights of Pastor Scott's teaching sessions, it, now we're talking about six one-hour sessions of, of the teaching time. So this is a high task that I can't possibly achieve. But the, the highlights are so rich that I think, I think you'll still get a taste of it um, as, we, as we try to walk, walk through it. And hopefully they'll spur you to want to listen yourself. Is Troy up? I don't know if Troy's right there right now. But I think there's, the sessions are going to end up being posted on our website so you could listen yourself. If not, if you remember, Pastor Scott preached through Exodus on Wednesday nights in this room. And so it's not that far back to go back and find his Exodus 20 uh, sermons in here. Now, it wasn't exactly the same. You know, he was... He was directly addressing youth in a camp setting, but the exposition's the same, and, and these truths are the same, and so that would be another way to, to dig deeper into it. And before we dive in, one more thank you. Thank you for the supportiveness of letting our teaching pastor invest so much time to prepare and to go and be our camp speaker. Um, I, our church is grateful. Ephesians 4.11 uh, pastors are a gift from the Lord, and our teaching pastor in particular is a, is a great gift. And we, we see that gift week by week in his expositional preaching here at, at Riverbend. But I, I want to communicate to you, if you've not been to camp, Pastor Scott is especially gifted in communicating to youth in that setting. Um, it, it was a great gift, and thank you, and ultimately thank the Lord uh, for that. And just to illustrate, the first night we were there, before he had taught yet in this year's camp, I heard three testimonies from students that all mentioned, unsolicited, um, 
mentioned past Pastor Scott camp sermons from, from years past. Two of them directly related to when God brought them to faith and the other to a key moment of sanctification in his life. Just as an illustration of praise the Lord, how the Lord's using our pastor in our youth's life, um, and just thank you for letting him go and do that. Okay, let's dive in. So session one, he introduced the theme uh, for the week, and which would eventually get to the Ten Commandments, but he laid some very important groundwork. The camp theme is walk his way, walk God's way. And naturally, we don't do that, right? We don't, in ourselves, in our flesh, uh, we're born sinners, we walk our own way, we don't walk the Lord's way. But in Christ, he saved us, he's sanctifying us to walk his way. And all through the Bible, he tells us this, but the Ten Commandments are a particular place to, to look at his way because he's revealing truths about his character and his expectations for us in our walk with him. He said, Pastor Scott pointed out this, at the end of life, we end up in one of two places, heaven or hell. If we're walking his way, if we're on his path, our ultimate destination is with the Lord forever in heaven. If we're walking our own way, our own path, which is part of the wide way of the world, will end up in hell. So you've got the narrow way. Christ spoke of the narrow way, right? That's his way. And the world's way is wide. The narrow way, even though it's difficult, it's filled with joy, it's filled with contentment and peace. Whereas the wide way, initially easy, ends up with great suffering and sorrow and ultimate uh, damnation. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 and again, our main text will be in, in Exodus. We'll get there soon. But in Ephesians 4.1, it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore, your, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So walk his way. Walk is used through the Bible uh, in the figurative sense of walking through life, living life. Live life worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So if you're a believer, God wants you to walk in, in conformity with your salvation, with the calling he's put on your life to be set apart unto the Lord and to walk his way. Now, we fail in that, but if he's saved us, we don't want to fail in that. We desire to walk his way. We have a desire to honor the Lord, to give glory to God in, in all that we do in our life, that, that worthy walk. And then verse 2 goes on to describe it further, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, and so forth. With humility. So, periodically, Pastor Scott would throw questions at us to ponder, which became food for our, our discussion groups, right? So one question he threw at us at this point is, Lord, have I been humbled? Ask yourself that. Have I been humbled? And it's, a, it's an indicator of am I on the Lord's path or not on the Lord's path? Because to be saved, we're humbled first. By, by definition, to, to come to saving faith in Christ, we first see our sin and that our sin offends God, deserves his wrath, that we cannot change that circumstance, that we can't get ourselves out of suffering eternal wrath on our own. We don't, we're not able to. 
We're, we're the sinners deserving that, and there's nothing we can do to counteract our sin or to atone for our sin or to make up for our sin. And so that realization is humbling, that we're absolutely 100% desperately dependent on Christ. And so have, Lord, have I been humbled? And if, if I can't say yes to that, then ask the Lord to humble me. Ephesians 5 uh, verses 1 and 2, still laying the groundwork for the commandments. It says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we're to, we're to imitate God by walking in love. And, that, and that's evidence that we're on the right path. If we're, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, if we're following after him in that, it shows evidence of the right path. Whereas verse 3, so that it may be, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a description of one on the wrong path, the wide way, the way to destruction. And so Pastor Scott was clearly laying out for us, there are two paths. Are you walking on his path his way or are you on your own path, the wide way, the way of destruction, the way of the world? And those on the way of the world will not be part of the kingdom of God. So what if that's me? What if that does describe me? What if I'm not on the right path? Then run to Christ. Repent and believe on Christ. Run to Christ. He's our only way. So the question is, which path are you on? And that's a question not only youth at camp should ask, that's a question everyone should ask themselves. And as we're going about and in our relationships, am I with Christ? I had this written in my notes at the end, but uh, the key takeaway at our last small group, we were talking about what's our, what are we taking away? What, what do we want to carry with us after camp? And, the, and what I expressed was to take to day by day, week by week life, the intentionality that we experience in this camp setting. It can't be the same you're away, distractions removed, full-time devotion to, the, to these things, but you can, have, you can have the same intentionality of time with the Lord and make sure I'm under sound teaching of the Word of God and that I'm trying to apply it in my life by God's grace. And then a key one for me is the intentionality of the conversations, of seeking to... Um, in fact, I think I quoted Della... From, from their last visit here of get to Christ as fast as possible. I don't know if I'm quoting you right either, but um, that has stuck with me. And at camp, there was this, um, you know, our enemy is intentional, right? The Bible says he's walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. Well, at camp, we were very intentional of walking to and fro of who can we talk about Jesus with and the gospel with and um, 
follow up from the teaching and see where someone's at and, and try to point them further to, towards Christ if they're not in the faith or help, help each other in our sanctification if they're in the faith and just to have that intentionality day by day, week by week. And, and we, we should. Who's, which path are we on? All right, Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Huge, key point that Pastor Scott made as he started is the context here of when God gave the commandments. So God speaks these commandments audibly, incidentally, um, to Israel. In the context, it came after he had rescued them from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. God came and rescued them out of Egypt. And then after that, he gives them these commandments. And Israel is a nation, not every Israelite was saved. But that scenario illustrates how God works with us, both Jew and Gentile, in saving us. He saves us first and then directs us in how to walk with him. God didn't go to Egypt through Moses and say, here are these Ten Commandments. Once you, once you figure out how to obey these, then you'll be worthy, and then I'll come back and I'll rescue from your slavery. That's not what happened. He rescued them in his grace and his mercy, having just chosen them to be his people, through whom he would send his Messiah, God the Son. He just rescued them. And then he comes and he says, here are ten words for you to walk in. Um, that, that will guide you as my people, as ones I've saved, as ones I've set apart. This will help you walk in my way. All right, session two. Serving Jesus is not duty, but delight. That was his opening quote, opening point, introduction, trying to keep the context for them. This is not a list of rules. This is how do I delight in Jesus? The narrow road, if we're on that narrow road, we delight to serve Jesus. If we're on the wide way of destruction, then the, the Christian things are all duty and burden to us. Another signal, by the way, are which path are, are we on? In the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then Jesus added a second, love your neighbor as yourself. This is, sums up the law. This, this is... This, if you're doing this, you're fulfilling the whole thing. Well, what is that? Loving the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that's delight. That's not duty. That's delight in the Lord. So he reemphasized what we just said. God brought Israel out first, then gave the law. A way to delight in their walk with their Lord. Hebrews 12, God disciplines his sons, his children. But if we're in sin and we're not experiencing discipline, for ongoing sin, we're not repentant, and we're not being disciplined, we're not his children. That's a signal we're on the wrong path, not his path. Which, which path are we on? Jesus, when he came, fulfilled the law. And he said he came to fulfill the law. And Pastor Scott gave four clarifying statements before diving into the commandments. So let me, let me pass, uh, jotted them down really fast that night. Let me share them with you. Number one, 
The commandments reflect the perfect character of God. So one of the things we're looking at as you walk through the commandments is the reflection of God's character that, that are in them. Secondly, all of the commandments were fulfilled in Jesus Christ on our behalf as believers. He fulfilled them for us. So when we trust Christ, the perfect righteousness of having fulfilled not only the Ten Commandments, but all of God's law is, are credited to us. And that's a reason to delight in Christ. He, he did that for us. Third clarifying statement, the commandments are given so we can have sweet fellowship with God. That's why the nation was given those, to walk with him in sweet fellowship. They didn't always do that. They didn't always walk in them, but they were given for that purpose. And we have the law of Christ, which repeats nine of these ten, and elements of the other, the Sabbath, as well, for us to walk in fellowship with, with the Lord. Um, and then the fourth clarifying statement, the commandments reveal in the new covenant a desire to obey the Lord. All right, commandment one, Exodus 20, verse three, we'll, we'll, we'll lead into verses one and two. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God alone is God. So we are not to worship anything or anyone else. In Ephesians 1.23, Jesus is to be our all in all. So question, will you ask Jesus to be your all in all and to root idols out of your heart? Do you have idols? Do you see idols in your heart? Do you have idols in your life? Pastor Scott said we all have those idols. And I would agree with that. Because our sin nature's not yet been totally removed. And that will be in glory. We'll be like Christ in that sense. We won't have our sin anymore. But even as saved people, we still have our sin right now. And so we still fight the idols of our heart. So as he was preaching and asking these questions, I thought of two that I wrestle with regularly. People-pleasing and comfort and ease. Just idols of the heart I have to wrestle with, pray, ask God to, to give victory over. List yours. Think about it. Take time. List. What, what do I struggle with? If you're struggling, to, if you're praying and struggling, you have trouble finding that out, ask for help. Um, Think, think as you're reading scriptures, something here pointing to some idol I'm holding in my heart that I'm putting up before the Lord in some way and ask him to root those things out. Now, at this point that night, or whatever time this session was, um, Pastor Scott told the students, if you're not saved, if you're not on the right path, tell someone. Go and tell someone I'm on the wrong path. Meaning, in particular, someone who is on the right path so they can help you. And students did that. Over the next day or so, in particular, I'm aware of several, and there are probably more I'm not aware of, including one who came to me, just to say, I'm on the wrong path. Praise God. That's such a huge step in being brought to the right path, 
to realize I'm not saved. I need to be saved. I'm on the wrong path. Um, and I, some of those led to those students coming to faith during the week. Through, through that being confronted directly with their lost state and being encouraged to directly tell somebody and seek to hear the details of the gospel. Um, and it's back to ask yourself that question. And if you're on the right path, be willing to ask that question of others. And, and, and then if you're here and you're on the wrong path, a room this size of adults, there's some of you on the wrong path. I don't, I'm not looking at someone specific and saying, I know you're on the wrong path, but I, it's just almost certainly the case. Tell someone. Even tonight, when we break up tonight, come grab me, one of the other pastors, someone you came with, someone you know who can point you to the scripture, to the gospel, to Christ, and tell them, I'm on the wrong path. Can, can you help me? Session three. God saves, then gives commands to fence us in. You can see the repetition. Kept reviewing, kept repeating some things. He repeated more. Of course, said a lot more. I'm just trying to highlight. But that these commands are not to fence us out from the Lord. They're to, to fence us in to the, to the privilege and the joy, the intimacy of walking with the Lord. They, they protect us to walk with him to his glory. So one of those is no idols, you know, no false gods before God. Then command number two in verses four to six, it says, you shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So commandment two is not about another God like commandment one was about. It's about not having God being represented by anything else. So God's saying, don't take something from my creation and use it to represent me because it's going to be a false representation. So he's saying, don't do that. Don't create some kind of likeness of me. God is defined by himself alone, not by human imagination. Just a side note, in Exodus, when they made the golden calves, they didn't say, here's Baal, let's worship him. They said, here is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt. So the problem there was not them claiming to, to change to a different God that they would follow. The problem was they were representing God wrongly. And God was ready to wipe them out and start over with Moses. Um, it's a serious sin to misrepresent the Lord by creating our own image of him. And then after, by the way, after the golden calf incident, God showed himself to Moses. Remember that uh, event? You can only see the, my back, basically. And he saw a manifestation of God's glory, the back of his glory. And, it's, and it says in that context, he is full of loving kindness and mercy. So God, in showing himself, 
is, is saying loving kindness and mercy. Who does God look like? Jesus. In John 1, it says Jesus represents God. Jesus presents God to us. Jesus is God. The Son presents the Father. And we can see it because he became a man also. And so we can see what God is like through the God-man Jesus Christ. In this context, God has the right to me, and therefore, he's jealous over me as his creation, and then once he saves us, as his, he's, he's bought us, he's redeemed us to be his. If we reject Christ, it harms our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids to the third and the fourth generations. Some people object, why would God punish the innocent? We're not innocent. No one's innocent. Once Adam fell, we all start out sinful. And there are no innocents. So that's a false thing being presented there. And God breaks that chain. God graciously does intervene. And you can have generations of of God-haters, of Anyone not in Christ really is a, we're God-haters until we're in Christ. And then he breaks it and brings, brings someone from that line to Christ. God will, God will break that, that chain in families. Praise God. But then the contrast in verse 6, but showing loving kindness to thousands. The, the idea is that for uncountable generations, in a sense, forever, in a sense, there will be blessing if you're following the Lord by his grace. If he's, sh- he's shown us his grace, brought us to salvation, us walking his way by his grace is going to ripple down blessings for generation after generation after generation after generation. It doesn't guarantee salvation of everyone descended from us, but there will be blessings flowing because of, of his amazing, unbelievably abundant grace. God is a God of wrath. God brings judgment. He must punish all sin. And yet over and over he presents himself as, yes, a God of wrath, and they're not contradictory, but also a God of loving kindness and mercy. But the loving kindness and mercy are so overflowingly abundant. Command number three, verse seven. I got to pick up the pace, but Pastor Scott did this too. <laughs> it got every commandment got a little faster as we, as we were going along. Um, Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Do I ever use the Lord's name in vain? We, sh- we, we all should ask ourselves that. Do I, do I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Amen. And if I do... Does it show in my speech? In how I speak of him? And do I speak of him or not? How do I say his name? When do I use his name? Um, Pastor Scott threw out this question. What about when someone uses his name in vain around you? What do you how do you handle that? And he gave them a way he's handled it before. Um, 
He said in his ranching days, I think he's said in the pulpit, this, in the pulpit before, but some of the other ranch, you know, some of the other uh, cowboys would say the Lord's name in vain. And so when one of them would say Jesus Christ in a very inappropriate way, his, he, he decided his response would be, oh, do you know him? And then get a confused, you know, look back, what, what? You, you said the name of, of my friend and my Savior, my Lord. Do you, do you know him too? And would lead to why he knows him, how he knows him, the gospel. Um, and it did two things. It gave a gospel presentation and that other cowboy would be very careful not to <laughs> use the Lord's name in vain around him again. Um, and the point is not, okay, now I've got another rule. Never use... Never use the Lord's name the wrong way. Don't use bad words. As, you know, the point is not another rule under which we're burdened to somehow earn favor with God. It's rather, Jesus died for me. The Spirit of God has sealed me and indwells in me. By his grace and power, I belong to him. I'm his forever. I'm going to heaven He's with me now. We could go on and on. Because of all that, my speech should reflect love and gratitude and honor and worship and the worthiness of my Lord and how I speak. It, it, I, it should be a privilege and a joy. Do we fail? Yes. But we should hate it when we fail, be quick to repent and ask forgiveness, and let him sanctify us to where more and more our speech is filled with grace and our speech is edifying and our speech is most of all uh, glorifying to our Lord. So question, how do I speak to others? How do I speak to my friends? How do I speak to my parents? How do I speak to my siblings? How do I speak to service personnel when they do something wrong? How, just think through, how do I speak to people? And then what do I speak about? Do I ever speak of Christ? Do I ever get to the gospel? Do I ever point them to him? Do I ever bring God's word into conversation? Session four. Remember, understand the commandments in light of what Christ did in light of the gospel. It's, it's all about how to glorify him by walking his way. Fourth commandment, verses 8 through 11 in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I'll let you read the rest because I really do need to speed up a little bit. The command is to set time apart for the Lord. It's about setting time apart for the Lord. For Israel, it was a ceremonial marker of them as, as his people. It's part of that as well. That's the part as his nation. That's the part not repeated in the New Testament, but the New Testament does speak of the Sabbath. In Hebrews, it's, it speaks of the fact that there's a greater Sabbath of resting from our vain works trying to earn our way to God to resting in Christ and his finished work of salvation which in, in that sense makes every day, Colossians 2 speaks of every day as a Sabbath for us as believers. But there is still also repeated the idea of time devoted to gather and worship the Lord together. And, and for the New Testament, that shifted from the seventh day to the first day because it's the resurrection day. It's the day the Lord rose from the grave. And so we gather to worship corporately. Um, and the, and the scriptures tell us, don't forsake that, that assembling together. We need that time with, with one another. Fifth commandment in verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you.
It reveals that family is the foundation of society and God's design. When he made human beings, he made a married couple and told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It doesn't mean every person is necessarily to marry. There can be those God gifts with singleness, but that's the norm. That's the design. That's the God laid that out as the foundation of human society, and he loves marriage, and he loves children. Loves marriage defined his way, a man and a woman meant to be married for life. Children in that marriage to be trained up, pointed, pointed to the Lord and to follow the Lord. And there's a promise here of life, and it's, it's a life lived for the glory of God, a life lived sharing the gospel. It's, it's, it's the quality of that life, not so much the length of that life. And ultimately, the fulfillment is in God's kingdom. His people will be forever with him in his kingdom. Session five, moved on to commandment number six, verse 13, you shall not murder, teaches the sanctity of life. He spoke of Cain, you know, right off the bat, you have a murder. Cain kills his brother Abel because Cain wanted to go his own way. It's clear enough what's there in the scriptures that God had revealed a way to worship him through blood sacrifice because that's going to point to the only way we can be right with God through Christ's blood sacrificed for us. And Cain decided, no, I got my own way. And God didn't accept it. He got angry and he killed his brother. And it says, Abel's blood cries out to me. God loves human life. Human life is sacred because it's in the image of God. Now, there is the death penalty God gives in Genesis 9. Just war, policing in Romans 13 as well. Um, But those are because of the sacredness of human life. Because life's so valuable, when you rob someone else of their life in murder, your life is forfeit. Um, and then Christ in the Sermon on the Mount makes clear it's more than just physical murder it's hatred in the heart in Matthew chapter 5 James brings out that it's even what we say and the reason we shouldn't speak ill of others curse others is because they're made in the image of God and so we should examine our heart not just probably most if not all of us in here could say I've never murdered somebody but the question we should ask is, have I hated someone in my heart? And I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. It is for me. I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. There's times I've hated someone in my heart. There's times I've spoken hate, hateful words of someone with my mouth. Commandment 7, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. God wants faithfulness. And it starts in our heart with faithfulness to Jesus And then it'll flow out in that priority to our spouse. And he brought out the fact that parents, faithful to God and to each other, bless their children incredibly with the security of that. Now, is God able and faithful to overcome where that's been been violated? One, you know, one has left the other, abandoned the other, or there's been adultery, or yes. But it is him having with his grace and his mercy to, to come pick up those pieces and, and bring healing to, the, to, the, to that hurt and that harm. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 
We don't have time to go there, but he went there and walked through where that passage speaks of fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, the covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, will not have a place in the kingdom of God. Clearly the wrong path. Clearly not saved. Clearly won't go to heaven. Will suffer the wrath of God forever in hell. And then verse 11. But such were some of you. And then goes on to say how they've been washed, they've been sanctified, they've been justified. Jesus is the difference. How do we get from, because the Bible's clear, we're all, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all on the wrong path. How do we get to the right path? Jesus. He's the only way. But he is the way. To take us from there to the right path, to walk in his way. Commandment 8, verse 15. You shall not steal. He wants us to be trustworthy. Um, shared a story of a young man that they ministered to early in, in one of their church plants that went, was, a, was a thief and a liar, stole all the time. God saved them, was in their church being discipled, got to the place where they were taking their boys away for the weekends. Here's the key to the ranch, to my truck. Everything I own's there. I trust you. Take care of it for the weekend. Trustworthy. Christ transforms us to be trustworthy. That's what he wants for us. He's trustworthy, and he wants us to be. And we should be. Everything belongs to the Lord, the Bible says, and so we should be trustworthy with it unto him. So not only, if we steal something, it doesn't only violate the person against whom we stole, but they're a steward of God's stuff. And it's not only physical property type stuff, it's time, it's purity, Someone else's daughter's purity is not ours to violate. Someone else's wife's purity is not ours to violate, or vice versa, you know, other, other way around. It's, it's faithful, it's trustworthiness with the gift of the gospel. If we're saved, we have the gift of the gospel, are we faithful with, with it, keeping it and presenting it to others and so on? Is Christ worthy for us to be trustworthy following him? And then the last session, commandments 9 and 10. So commandment 9, verse 16 you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Jesus is full of grace and truth, John tells us. He wants his people, us, to be full of grace and truth. Be truthful. Be truthful even when it costs. Uh, Pastor Bobby mentioned about our, our guest being willing, even if persecution comes, I don't care because I have to be faithful to speak the truth of the gospel. And, and we should be that way as well. When, and when others do wrong. He, he asked the kids, when your friends are doing something wrong, trying to maybe lead you as well to do something wrong, do you speak up for the truth and for what's right? And then most importantly, do you speak the gospel? Do you speak for Christ? Do you identify with Christ and tell others about him? Tenth commandment, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. To covet is to be overtly attracted to something and I'll do anything to get it. He used the illustration of, if you've, if you've read or seen the movies of the Lord of the Rings, Smeagol, who becomes Gollum. And he, he so coveted that ring 
that he murdered, he did anything he could to, to get it and then to keep it. Um, it's a consuming desire to possess something that does not belong to you. And it can, it can include people. Coveting is saying, God, I'm not content with what you gave me. It's saying, God, I don't like how you've handled my life. And as he went on to discuss this, he got to the place of Jesus spoke of out of our heart comes things that defile us, including covetousness. And he asked the question, when you get squeezed, like by trials in life, difficulties, hard things, what comes out? And, and is it covetousness? Is it dissatisfaction with the Lord that he, that he would allow this in your life or what he's not given you in your life? He said treasure that cannot be destroyed, the, the, the treasure that, that we can have in our heart that will never rust and, moth, rust and moths cannot destroy is Jesus can't be stolen, can't be destroyed. It's, it's Jesus himself. He's the treasure. Um, and the Lord will return. He'll call his own. Will we be with him? Will we go? When he comes back, will we go? And he got very vivid with this and said, it was like 8.56, he said, 9 o'clock, light's going to shine through those doors. He pointed at the doors. Jesus is coming in here. He's taking his with him. Is that you? And then he closed the session in prayer. What about us? If at 734, he comes in here, is he taking us? Which path are we on? If you're on his path, walk his way. Share him with others. If you're not, tell us. Tell somebody. Seek if faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Tell somebody I'm on the wrong path. And let us start sitting down with the word of God, share with you, pray. He'll show you your sin, show you Jesus, and you repent and believe by his grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the, the blessings you gave this past week at camp. Ways you were and still are at work. And, and Lord, we do beg you to continue that in our youth and all, all of us adults who were there. And Lord, that you continue to work here week by week, sermon by sermon, Bible fellowship group by Bible fellowship group, community group by community group, soul care group by soul care group. We could keep going while we pray, and then one-on-one -on -one conversations that you would just keep bringing the gospel to bear to take those on the wrong path and bring them to Christ. And bring those who in your grace are on the right path and grow us in it. Grow us in our intimacy with you, our delight in you, our faithfulness, our trustworthiness, and our witnessing to others. And Father, we, we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.